Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 175 for Monday, January 10th, 2022. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixel Riffs, and joining me as always is Joel Froggen. Hi, Joel. <laughs> ribbit, ribbit. Uh, I, uh, talking about like animals and beasts and, and things that have uh, different abilities, uh, we were just talking about Dungeons and Dragons, Manticores, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and... Uh, trolls that are cyborgs uh, all in the render distance so if you like the extended version of the conversation it was really fun this week you can check out the uh, extended stuff at patreon.com slash the swan chunks if you support the show then one of the benefits that you get is the extended podcast that we do every single week yes and you can also listen to the show live as many people are doing in our discord right now and so let's get into it let's talk about what we've been do doing in minecraft this week and you have been back in minecraft this time you've been uh, streaming a little bit this weekend how has it been going on the citadel Yes, it is my first week back in 2022. Uh, kicked it off with uh, some warm-up stuff. I don't know if anybody else does this, but when I'm away from the game for a bit, I kind of have to start with something easy. So uh, there was a section of the road near the front entrance that needed some texture and stuff like that. So the first kind of two-hour stream, I was just kind of like picking around at different details, looking at stuff that I missed, uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And ultimately, after that, we decided to start moving up the hill. So in West Hill, we've got uh, two sections, uh, or actually kind of three sections. There is the uh, east side of town, which is what I've been working on for the last year. There's the west side of town, which is going to be the fancier, more, we'll say, rich side of town. And then in between them is the keep. And you have to kind of go over a hill where the keep is situated to get to the other side. And so I started building the houses kind of going up this hill, planning the um, foundations, um, starting to think about where the paths are going to go. There's a path that kind of goes out from underneath the main wall that we wanted to, to make a staircase for. So there's all these different things that I've been considering. So it, really, it was a really good time for anybody that's like wondering how I start to like lay out a new area of town because this is like flat grass blocks. There's nothing there right now. And uh, we built this corner tower house on the hill and it was a very kind of like fly by the city your pants this road makes kind of an s curve the the pocket of the s looked like it was a great spot for a tower who can resist building a tower in a medieval town and so i did that and ultimately ended up with a bunch of different challenges the tower was six by six so it wasn't an even build or it wasn't an odd build like it didn't have a single point center mm -hmm. uh the house that i attached to it was on a 45 degree angle uh had an like a, and it also had like a little kind of like door that kind of jut out to the to the street a little bit as well and uh i wanted to use some different textures i i needed to have it stand out against a stone brick wall that was going up the the the, the road so like i had to choose different blocks and uh ultimately it came together quite well uh for the, a single build in a weekend you know uh i i wouldn't say probably wait eight hours total uh, on it because i was also doing other things but you know six to eight hours and uh ended up using deep slate in the roof um slowly getting better at using deep slate and, and enjoying it as a roof texture especially when you can work in different textures i find mm -hmm. um but yeah i just it's it ends up, it ends up being functional as well as fashionable because from the tower you can actually kind of like imagine yourself as an archer being able to watch over the road yeah and, and and like not only the road that you're right above but also the distant road like the south entrance to the to the um to the town which is a complete accident like i just kind of thought well you might be able to see some stuff from up there and it turns out the windows as they're facing are just like perfect vantage points mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> so it all worked out well 
That's cool. That's cool. It's nice when the the infrastructure you're putting in leads to those sort of happy accidents like that, and that's that's fun. And in in a way, you can sort of be like, oh, yeah, I planned it that way the entire time. You know, <laughs> like it, it sort of feels like those features naturally come together, maybe even subconsciously after a while after you've been working on a project like this for a bit. And I want to encourage anybody that hasn't built angled builds whether 45s or like 30 degree angles or anything that's like a stepped build like just start doing it and try to do it as often as you can and iterate on it don't worry about going back and fixing everything and make it perfect because after a few times with each style you start to be a lot better at it and you start to be able to do stuff off the cuff with mm -hmm. it and that is when things really get fun and i i like the fact that i've got these kind of like build skills in my repertoire because when I go to do something else in Minecraft, whether it's, you know, something that isn't medieval, but I do want to make it on an angle, I'm going to be able to do that. Yeah. And it's, it's really, really fun to kind of have those kind of like in your quiver of ideas, you know? Definitely. I think angle builds also work best as part of a bigger picture because like if you build one angle build and it's just kind of on its own, it's your starter house or whatever, like the first place you mm, build in like mm -hmm. a new project, it can really stick out because you're walking around it all the time and the player scale of things starts to take over. So you notice the fact that these walls are basically meter high blocks, meter long blocks at right angles to each other and you start to feel a lot of the, the angularity of it. That blends in a lot more once it's got other stuff around it because you have things to compare it to and it starts to feel a lot more natural so i think the fact that you've got so many of them starting to come together in the context of this town you're building is probably helping a great deal because you can look at flat walls and compare them to the angled ones and go okay that's just the same wall but rotated 45 degrees yeah your brain yeah, starts to fill in the gaps at that point so yeah I, I entirely agree angled houses whilst they might seem a little bit weird at first once you have them surrounded by a bit more context you can really start to notice what they do to the shape of an area and I think too that you can start off small by not making the entire build angled. Like just give yourself like a little nave off the edge of your house or mm -hmm. like create something that's a small piece, like a, a dormer or a tower or just a little something that's on this on the edge that have that be the angle and have everything else be like a straight thing. And then like you said, at a smaller scale, you'll have a flat wall compared to an angled wall. And if they're made of the same materials or meant to look the same, then you'll, your brain will kind of fill in the rest. Are there um, any the, um are there any other aspects of the town which are entirely unified? Like have you got to the point where you've got one feature that you build the same on every single build? Like does everything have the same chimney or are you using the same like uh, bottom trim for each of the walls? Is there anything that unifies the entire town or is it more like a a patchwork of stuff and that that's what helps it feel more diverse? Uh I wouldn't say there's there's materials that unify sections of the town because I wanted the the oldest part of the town actually hasn't been built yet because it's outside the walls, but the ins the inside part, like the market area, there's a lot of cobblestone as the first block, mm -hmm. like foundation, and then stuff goes up from there into like stone bricks or andesite or something else. Um, and then, of course, once tough got introduced, it's a lot of combination of like um, tough and cobble and even a little basalt and and deep slate, depending on how, how big the, the build is. Um, in the main area, like the main road, there's a lot of uh, either bone calcite or mushroom stem right yeah uh, framed by uh either dark oak or spruce 
Mm-hmm. So um, sort of like a Tudor-esque kind of look. Like the main gate, I think I've shown people the main gate a fair bit. It's got like a lot of white in it. And so I'm trying to have like white gables in a lot of these houses that I'm working on currently because it kind of gives them like these were kind of all built at the same time vibe. Yeah. And I'll yeah. be doing the same thing again when I move over to the fancier part of town. There's going to be more like, um, I'm trying to think about what materials I'm going to use. Things like prismarine roofs, um, maybe have more um fancier decorative stuff so like a lot more fence gates and fence posts on the outside of buildings and things like that i'm hoping to, to work in but right now i think the materials are all just like i mean i complain a lot that's a lot of brown and gray but it's basically just a lot of andesite stone brick and i want to say strip dark oak and strip spruce are like the main the mm-hmm. main sort of feels but that's also what's nearby right and i did that on purpose like it borders on a taiga forest and a plains biome and a regular forest so like the only thing i'm not using actually is a lot of oak and i think part of it's just because it's such a day one minecraft block that i tend to just (laughs) yeah i I like it and i use it inside a lot for things like beams or roof supports things like that anything that's meant to look like a log that's been inserted into a build i tend to use just a regular oak log but with other stuff it's for building outside things i tend not to use it in a lot i've used it a little bit because you have to have some variety in there otherwise everything just looks kind of like the same yeah yeah i, I find but, that um, it's it's a lot better having an exterior wood and an interior wood because that way it lo- mm, I mean mm-hmm. it means the floors don't look like they're made of exactly the same materials as the walls and the yes. roof and everything else yeah. so yeah yep. using the oak inside seems like a, a pretty smart move yeah, I do that too. Uh, the The building, actually, the this one um, that I made, the tower house on the corner, uh, it has a deep slate floor. First time I used deep slate on the floor. And again, the only reason I did that is because the walls were stone bricks. And so like, I didn't want the floor to be the exact same texture as the walls. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few times where it works in Minecraft using stone bricks for both. Um, but being able to use polished, cracked, and stone bri- uh, deep slate bricks in the floor helped me get kind of a variety going. Uh, and made it stand out just a little bit from from the walls. Uh, the only other thing that we did on on the Citadel this weekend was we chose the 118 area. So hopefully by next episode, I'll have some more 118 exploration gameplay. I'm going to try to do like one stream a week at least um, from this new area. We're approaching it the same way that we were doing the other places where um, thanks to Cosmic, she found a couple of cool spots very far out. Uh, we all went out or I went out and scoped them out and we found a place about 20,000 blocks from spawn uh, and uh, we're going to use a command block to allow people to fast travel from the main mm-hmm. hub all the way out there. And that way, really, no matter what you do, you're not going to load in chunks that are next to existing builds and stuff. So everything sure. is going to feel like a brand new world. Um, but that's that's the only exciting news coming, coming out of the Citadel this weekend. Uh, what have you been up to? I've had a very redstone-focused week the last week. Oh, um, fun. We started with early redstone sort of resource farms, so I was looking at you know automatic sugarcane and and stuff like fortuning crops which it turns out a lot of people still don't always remember or know about is being able to use fortune three to harvest more carrots and potatoes and whatnot um i forget about that actually yeah yeah it's 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 fun and it's fun reintroducing that to people who've maybe like forgotten it because they haven't farmed carrots manually for a while or something like that um but yeah i found that uh, having a cobblestone farm when we started looking at stone generators actually came in really useful because i i've accurately predicted i think that new ore distribution means that i end up with way more deep slate than cobblestone so it's not as useful for crafting redstone components you can craft uh, furnaces and stone tools out of deep slate but you you can't make a dispenser or anything like that and of course like smelting deep slate back into regular deep slate won't get you 
the same things that having natural stone does for crafting, say, comparators or redstone repeaters or whatnot. So I've been working on building up a few farms like that. The end of the week was a triple cave spider spawner from a, an abandoned mineshaft where I was able to locate five spawners and three of them were in a spot where I could just kind of stand and all three of them were activated at once. So I have all of those set up. I have tinted glass so that I can look into the spawners and keep them dark. And uh, yeah, like water streams moving all the spiders around, which is a tough because spiders will do what they want. And a lot of the time they do climb up walls and get stuck in areas. But the amount of cave spiders coming through from three separate spawners is enough that I don't really mind the occasional mm -hmm. one getting stuck there for a you know 30 seconds or so before it decides to shift itself off the wall it's attached to the other thing is that because this whole mine shaft is inside the boundary of a lush cave biome the water streams in there also spawn tropical fish so i have a combination cave spider and tropical fish farm which is hilarious although the fish aren't moved around in water streams the way the spiders are so i've only killed about eight tropical fish total when i'm on to you know hundreds of cave spiders at this point um mostly did it for the xp and i had a few people tell me like this is the kind of project that you only do if you need it for like youtube content <laughs> because nobody else is going to bother doing stuff with cave spiders they're such a pain to work with but honestly with the changes to spawning rules the fact that mobs have to spawn in complete darkness and that does include mobs from those spawner blocks you find that the cave spiders are a lot easier to handle because all I needed to do was have a single torch on the spawner the entire time and then swap that for a redstone lamp which I'd activate from the outside before I took the torch off the wall. Never had to keep, you know, stand anywhere near a thing that was actively spawning cave spiders. So I honestly think it's a lot easier to work with stuff like that even though cave spiders are, generally speaking, kind of annoying. Um, I found it a lot easier to work on that project than I have on previous cave spider farms just because of how straightforward the mob spawning rules are now. Oh, as someone that set up a cave spider spawner, like a triple cave spider spawner in, in 1.12, <laughs> it yeah. was our first XP farm on the Citadel. Yeah, that's it's a giant pain. It, uh, it's it a was. Giant pain. Yeah, and I remember doing similar farms back in the day, and now I think my previous survival guide had a double cave spider spawner and one skeleton spawner that was nearby. So mixed mm -hmm. media. Um, <laughs> so and and so now now with the triple cave spider thing, it it got a ton of XP and it was surprisingly straightforward to set up. Um, and so I'm probably going to prettify that area and and you know m make it a little bit nicer looking overall. It's very functional right now. And the the only thing I did aesthetically was surround the entire thing with blocks that weren't natural to the area. So the whole thing is you know surrounded in deep slate brick because I was getting a lot of deep slate just from tearing out the area around the spawners to begin with. And now that's all lining the outside walls and the floor and everything so I don't dig into it from a different angle uh, and let a bunch of cave spiders out. But for the most part, it was a, a fun project to work on. Now I'm moving on to the other awkward mob to deal with, which is villagers. Um, so I've located my first village, which was in a savanna. I was kind of hoping for a plains village because I still consider them like the default village. Um, but I found a savanna that had a, a village in it and I'm working on recruiting the full range of villagers to see what they're capable of. And I think the meta for 1.18 has changed to the point where some of these villagers might be more useful than they were previously. You think about um, the abundance of clay in lush caves now, leading to much more access to clay balls to trade to stonemasons. 
And once you start to get zombification discounts in play, you end up being able to trade one clay ball for one emerald. You just tear up a section of lush cave that you don't care much about, and you are farming emeralds pretty effectively at that stage. So that might even be preferable to stuff like the Fletcher stick trade or rotten flesh to clerics and that kind of thing. There's, there's some very interesting options there that I wouldn't have considered previously because clay was harder to come by it wasn't as renewable uh, and it will be renewable in the wild updates so at this point i can tear apart some of the regions of the world that have more clay and not worry too much about it i um i've got that's gonna feel good for having that kind of progress now in the new the new world like you've got string coming in you've got xp coming in uh i don't i don't know what uses tropical fish would have other than just like collecting them or maybe if you're not going to kill them, then at least you can get an easy way to make an aquarium later on if you want. <laughs> yes. No, I'm, um, I'm, I'm planning on going back to that lush cave and probably fishing a few out. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that the only thing you can really do with tropical fish, I'm not sure if they still have any interaction with axolotls, but I think you could try and get an axolotl to follow you if you had a tropical fish or a fish in a bucket or something like that. So maybe that still is how it works maybe maybe not i'm not i'm not sure but yeah if i want to breed axolotls later i can can farm up a lot of tropical fish and i haven't done like day one minecraft stuff outside of the experimental snapshots and even then i didn't put a lot of faith or time into trading with villagers but now that trading with villagers is so powerful um getting into that i mean that must be several episodes of the survival guide to trade with villagers like do you dedicate an episode to just like one type of villager I'm probably going to do general episodes about the entire thing, and then in future I'm going to come back and maybe build like a house for each type of villager and, and talk a little bit nice. more about them in, in detail. But for now, I'm just looking to get one villager of each profession, get them up to master level so we can look at all the potential trades they have. And there's some stuff that I forget about because you don't tend to go to those villages all that much, but you think about shepherds buying dyes off you and then selling you dyed wool in exchange. The dyed wool isn't all that much worth it. It's like one emerald for maybe two blocks at most. But if you can just get a bunch of bone meal farm a ton of like the two tall flowers like rose bushes for red dye or something sometimes you'll get a shepherd that will buy that dye off you and again with zombification discounts in the mix you're actually getting a lot of emeralds that way and it's those kind of things that people tend to overlook because you can't get them especially fast or there are you know other things that you can just craft a bunch of fletching tables and you're off to the races but i i do want to see a little bit more of what's on offer and and my my overall mission statement for this world is to try and touch every aspect of minecraft and so leaving no stone unturned really as we go through the villages to start with and um just refreshing my knowledge of what's required for villager breeding and things now has been fun like i used to like it, it maybe used to be the case back in the day that trading with villagers more would make them more willing to breed it was one of the aspects that really affected that whereas now it is just beds and food and it seems to be simplified down to those mechanics and it's kind of good to remind myself of that stuff so i don't end up misinforming people in the videos but also so that i don't end up wasting my time in doing a lot of stuff to villagers that they don't really need it's funny the web of unlocks that happen with villagers right like when you're talking about die for emeralds but you know you get a bone meal two tall flowers so like if you end up with a skeleton farm or some other way to get a lot of bone meal like moss, then like you can get a lot of dye very easily. Mm -hmm. And then that in turn unlocks a lot of things with villagers. And you wouldn't think 
immediately like, yeah, I'm going to go for a moss farm. That's going to be the most useful thing because you just think bone meal for crops and stuff like that. But you forget about the potential like three step down the road trading with villagers, things that yeah. happen. Mm-hmm. So far, I've encountered every type of spawner but skeletons, and I feel very sore about that fact. <laughs> um, and I didn't want to jump straight to a moss farm because, you know, I'd done stone generators, but it's combining a lot of different things to make even a basic moss farm. Um, True. If you, if you want to automate it to the point where you're able to produce that much bone meal. So I decided to leave that out of my redstone-focused week, and now, yeah, I'm thinking we'll probably end up covering things like iron farms and moss farms and stuff in a future week where I can focus more on the, the technical side again. Um, let's move on to the news. We have a little bit of news this week. Things are starting to trickle back in as the development teams return to the office. Um, the main thing we want to cover is the Bedrock Edition beta. Uh, 118.10.26 came out this week. We'll have a link to the feedback.minecraft.net changelog in our show notes. And in addition to a few tweaks to frog behavior and frog eggs, there are three new blocks called frog lights, which have been added. They come in three varieties, pearlescent, verdant, and ochre, which are all very exciting names. Frog lights are, as the name suggests, a light-emitting block and are obtained by luring a frog close to a small magma cube. In the same way that frogs now eat baby slimes, the frog will eat the small magma cube and a frog light block will drop as a result. Each different variant of frog, they come in three different colors, causes a different color of the frog light block to drop. Uh, and along with this, of course, the changelog has a bunch of bug fixes and gameplay tweaks, parity things. Uh, that can all be found in the changelog article linked in our show notes. The other thing to note is that there is a Minecraft Dungeons Dev Diaries video over on youtube.com slash Minecraft talking about the uh, first seasonal adventure, Cloudy Climb, and the tower. So the producer David Nishagen and 011's Tom Pedalino talk through a few of the changes, what's happening with the battle pass, and that kind of stuff. So if you're interested in Minecraft Dungeons and looking to get the scoop on the latest update, check that out over at youtube.com slash Minecraft. I've got a quick question about the Minecraft Dungeons diary video. Uh, they mentioned at the top of the cloudy climb, I believe it was Tom that mentioned that the best gear in the game is at, at the you know pinnacle of the cloudy climb. I thought it was all cosmetic gear or cosmetic things, not even gear that you're getting with the cloudy climb and the adventure pass progression. I didn't think it was actually going to be gear that could leave the tower. And yes. if it isn't if it isn't gear that can leave the tower, then that wasn't clear in the video. So the way it works is the Cloudy Climb seasonal adventure has its sort of cosmetic track where you unlock rewards from gameplay. And that's not just the tower, that's there are a Correct, set of yeah. weekly challenges. There are, you know, if you beat uh, a boss in the main campaign, if you go back to the story missions and play a bunch of things, there are a bunch of things that earn you XP towards the kind of progression of that. And the tower is kind of a separate thing. It is what earns you probably the most XP if you complete the entire tower uh, that week. But the idea behind it is that when you beat one of the bosses, you earn a reward for that that is usable for your character. So you're earning gear in the same way that you get rewards for completing the story missions, but you earn that gear once you've reached a level of the tower where you've beaten one of the bosses. And there are three, okay. I believe, per climb. There is, there's usually one at level 10, one at level 20, one at level 30, and 30 is the final level. 
And I think this time around they changed it up so a boss actually appears a little bit earlier. And so I don't know if they're planning on, you know, having multiple floors each time and each one kind of pays out a different type of permanent gear for your character. But the items that you earn as you're climbing the tower are temporary, but the rewards you get for completing sections of the tower carry over to the character that you've used when you've gone to the tower in the first place. Okay, so I didn't realize that there were items that could leave the tower, like yeah. the checkpoint, the checkpoints that could leave. That makes more sense. Um, yeah. What was really clear, and I thought uh, was nice in the way that they presented it, and I didn't know, was that you could get the, you can progress through the cosmetic kind of challenges in the cloudy climb, or just by playing the game however the heck you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. and I like that they also have separate tracks, so you can do that for free with the base game or if you pay to have the pass then you're just on a separate uh cosmetic track and i yeah. thought they made that part very clear um so it might have been just something in a previous video that i missed but that's that's cool i i, I like it i mean it definitely as someone that has been away from dungeons for a while now has a couple of friends that are that are into it and we're talking about doing some joint you know play um like as an offline thing then i i feel like it's a cool way to get into dungeons uh, and have some fun stuff where I might already have a bunch of decent gear, but then I could play along with them and work towards cosmetic stuff, yeah. you know, and just kind of have that kind of fun right along. It, it's, it's, it's got some, it, it, I feel like it kind of brings a breadth of goals and fun things to check off for a wide berth of, of players, people that have been playing every day since it came out, or people like me that kind of hop in, hop out periodically. It just keeps things really fresh. The only thing I think is missing is two player in the cloudy climb or, yeah. or multiple player in the cloudy climb. That's the only thing because like if you wanted to jump in and play with a friend, but they haven't done the story missions yet, you kind of want to let them do at least some of that on their own first, mm -hmm. right? To, ha to get that kind of solo experience before you jump in and do two player. Yeah. And it would be nice to be able to do two player cloudy climb which is totally separate from the story it's just gameplay you have some fun and then they can still do the story on their own that's the only thing i think is missing from this yeah i think that's the outstanding like player concern with the tower is just wanting to be able to play it multiplayer because that's how they've experienced dungeons up until that point there's families mm -hmm. that tend to play together and that's right an, yes. as an aspect of this update which is unfortunately not available to them to play as a family but you know maybe there's ways around that in future it remains to be seen what the devs want to do with that but uh it's going to be a lot of work i think to implement it in the tower because of the overlap with inventory and everything else so yeah. we'll we'll see how it all goes uh, let's talk about the frog lights, though, because these kind of came out of nowhere, actually. Uh, they, yeah. they, came, they came out of a frog eventually, but we weren't expecting <laughs> that. Uh, so so let's talk about what, how do we feel about frog lights? Uh, what were your first impressions seeing this uh, come through in the beta? Well, I'm never going to complain about a new light block. Mm -hmm. I mean, just new, new light blocks and new blocks in general are, are good. Uh, I think they look great. I, I like the texture on them. They have like a... They sort of look like a sea lantern, but then they don't, you know, yeah. like they sort of look like, um, they sort of look like a, um, not a glowstone block. What's the other word? Um, like a redstone lamp? Oh, a shroom light. Uh, yeah, a shroom light. Like a, sh a shroom light. It's like a shroom light and uh, a sea lantern had a baby. It's kind of how <laughs> I see them. Yeah. Um, and they, because they, they have like that colorful thing going on. Um, I think that, like, I like that it's so left field. Uh, and I don't know why I never thought, like, we never asked the question, 
a week or two ago when frogs were revealed to eat slime, right? And it drops a slime ball. Neither one of us said, I wonder what happens when they eat a magma cube, mm -hmm. right? Like, do you just do you get a magma cream on the floor? And then they could have done that. And you thought, okay, that's fine. It's cool. But this is cooler. Yes. <laughs> like, this is way cooler. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that that's, um, that's part of the charm of it is, is the way that it happens. But the blocks themselves, um, the thing that I would say, not to jump on the, you know, negative side of things right away but like in addition to the cool thing that they've done uh, i think that a lot of players are probably going to one want the 16 colors in minecraft mm -hmm. um for the blocks uh and i think there's precedent for it with candles like you can you get the regular candle which is kind of like an off-white and then you can make the other 16 colors with dye yeah and i think that you should be able to do this with the um the frog lights perhaps the okra one is the dyeable one i don't know um and the other thing is uh, directional placement. Yes. The fact that they have a direction and right away, there's one of them. I think it is the ochre light that has more of a vertical grain to it, whereas the other two have more of a horizontal grain to it. Yeah. And I, this this was actually mentioned uh, by the, one of the art team, uh, Chi, on Twitter. Um, they're hoping to add rotational placements to frog lights. And some people were speculating maybe this is just kind of like a, a placeholder for rotational behavior in future. And it seems like they, they want to do that. Like they think it's it's probably best for the player experience that they, they have the option to rotate blocks like this. Uh, so yeah, fingers crossed that that makes it into full release because I I do think it it's going to look better if players have a little bit more customizability with with this stuff, even if they don't come in the full range of colors. Yeah, and I, the thing that about this kind of thing that that makes me wonder is like it's not like it isn't already in the game, mm -hmm. like logs, barrels. I I feel like when stuff like this is already part of some blocks in Minecraft, when you have a block that has a specific direction to the the texture basalt another good example i feel like being able to place it like logs and like barrels is going to be intuitive to the players and and i think removing that ability for something that looks like it should do that is frustrating mm -hmm. it's not a good experience right and I, and i think that uh when they say like we hope to add um wrote you know rotational placement it's like well <laughs> it's already in the game <laughs> yeah i know that it, i know it involves coding and and adding things to this particular block but like i mean copy paste is the thing right like I'm, i realize i'm speaking outside of being <laughs> to, to, as a as a game developer but like when something already exists in the game and you're taking like the texture from one block and the functionality of another it doesn't strike me as something that's terribly difficult please correct me if i'm wrong developers but yeah. i'm i'm hoping that it's going to be that because i think it i think that would be a really nice way to to bring this into the game as, as the block that people want to use I think it's all just data at the end of the day. It's like, what data tags do we want this thing to have and how much extra storage space does it need? E even though, mm. like, you know, you consider that it's not much for one or two blocks, but then you multiply that by the amount of things that the players are going to want to use them for and, you know, it, it, it jumps exponentially at that point. But frog lights are cool. Like, I, I think beyond just having a few new light sources and the the illusion of colored lighting that stuff like this presents right where you think of sea lanterns as, as having like a colder bluer light even though effectively in terms of the way the game renders light they look the same as a torchlight would um i think the method of obtaining frog lights is just so fun um it makes frogs a 
mob that players will want to seek out and also gives them a cross-dimensional challenge like we talk about this like frogs are just going to eat magma cubes every day like how do you bring the two together do you bring frogs to the nether do you bring magma cubes to the overworld are frogs going to be able to survive in a hotter environment like that so you'd presume so just for the sake of simplicity but otherwise you've got to think about getting magma cubes through a nether portal to the overworld and there's there's all sorts of challenges involved there that I think are going to be fun um and it ultimately has a more long-term purpose as well uh, compared to stuff like you know the advancement challenge for bringing a ghast to the overworld and then killing it fun but not necessary for gameplay whereas I think having the sort of overall challenge of like frog eats magma cube that has to be something that you can reproduce over and over again like it, it makes for a, a much more interesting challenge for players who want something to do technically in the game i agree and i think that having the frog kill the magma cube and make the drop as opposed to frog lights just being drops from frogs right like it mm -hmm. you don't want to kill frogs right like you want you want the player to use these animals to create other things as opposed to it just being another mob drops x right yeah yeah, and I, absolutely. And I, and I think, yeah, and I think that that's a really neat, neat idea. I like the transdimensional thing. Like everything about what it does was very surprising. The, like the way that they they came about it. I'm wondering if, if the, because it felt when I was watching some videos online, it feels instantaneous. Like frog kills magma cube, and just immediately there's a frog light on the floor. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of wondering if there could be some sort of way to have it be more like the frog eats the magma cube, and then we'll say lays uh, <laughs> a, a frog light. It, it poops I mean, it's it, weird. We can, we can yeah, say it poops yeah, Sure. It. <laughs> yeah, it poops it. It's fine. But like, I just, I feel like, and, and I mean, it doesn't have to be gross. Like it could still have like a fun cartoony pop noise or yeah, something. I, mean, I just the, feel like. The same way it works the, with, with chickens laying eggs, right? Like that. Yeah, that, exactly. Exactly. And I, just, I feel like there's a missed for opportunity for it to be one funny and fun. And it just felt a little bit strange where like the tongue goes out and, and lashes at this little magma cube and it just kind of like snaps and turns into a, a frog light and i kind of feel like it would be it would look a little bit more natural not that i mean it's minecraft and it's turning a yeah mm -hmm. imaginary monster into a light bulb but still like just <laughs> it would be different if there was a little bit of a time delay too or like it doesn't just snap and change instantly but it eats the thing and then eventually you know two seconds later it it poops out a, a frog light and that could be kind of i mean i just i just also think it would be kind of funny to watch like a bunch of frogs like jumping across a floor and all of a sudden like boop, 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 they just kind mm -hmm. of like poop light bulbs like i just that's amusing to me as a cartoonist it's just yeah. it's an image i can't get out of my head for sure and the snapshot chat in our discord has had a really good discussion about frogs this week um, ranging from stuff like the decision to change frogs eating fireflies to them eating slimes and now magma cubes, because it w it came out that you know the developers decided to move away from that because most fireflies are poisonous to frogs in the real world, and similarly to the kind of the parrot cookie mechanic, they didn't necessarily want to have that be an Easter egg. And it it's interesting that decision because when we saw the initial announcement of them at minecraft live we figured okay the frog firefly thing is just going to be a almost like a symbiotic relationship in terms of the gameplay like where where fireflies exist frogs will want to be and that kind of gives more of a reason for the fireflies to be there beyond just atmosphere um but now they seem to have reversed that and kept the idea of frogs eating something 
and just moved it to slimes because they're also swamp residents uh so so that's kind of an an interesting move and it brings me around to wondering what fireflies are going to do other than just ambience if they do anything but it also adds to the idea that if frogs are going to be eating these fireflies, the game no longer has to keep track of, is this cloud of fireflies still there? Has the frog eaten them all? Does the, you know, swarm of fireflies diminish as the frogs try to eat them? Um, it, it, it removes questions like that that could be more technically difficult to answer than they would be valuable to gameplay or immersion or whatever, really, the fireflies are still there for. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious about hearing more about that change. Um... Frogs did very briefly eat goats, <laughs> which was apparently like a leftover bit of code that ended up staying in the beta <laughs> release. Uh, so there are some very funny videos out there if you want to go and find them of um, yeah a frog standing next to a goat and then the, the entire goat disappearing like Yoshi style into into this frog. Oh um, man! Not going to make it to full release, but very funny nonetheless. Um, I, now I want giant frogs. Like I want a frog large <laughs> enough to eat cows and horses. Like a and, like a pan's labyrinth style, like toad yeah. under the tree kind of style. Toad frog, under the yeah. tree. And um, what's the thing from um, Captain Marvel? Is it a of splorg or a flurg or something? It's the cat. <laughs> the cat that has the tentacles coming out of its mouth and eats mm -hmm. like all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Uh, that that to me all of a sudden becomes very very fun. Uh, I'm do do we know if frogs still do? the like little tongue shooting animation even if they're not eating the fireflies is there still like an imaginary fly that they're kind of snapping out of the air because it would be sad to lose that kind of ambient animation if they no longer eat the fireflies good question i haven't i haven't really looked i haven't had a chance yeah, to actually dip into the, either. the beta myself um yeah so we'll we'll see what continues to develop with frogs and th there was a little bit more talk in our discord about um hoping that there was still going to be type specific mechanics to frogs instead of them just producing different frog lights each time because yeah it, it seems like they they'd hinted at there being you know each frog has a different purpose but that was tentatively suggested at minecraft live without any more details i think agnes even said we're still working on what exactly that means so there are some people hoping that the frog light thing isn't necessarily the only difference between the three varieties of frogs for some people that might be all they need but for some folks they might still be looking for more out of these little critters so we'll we'll see if anything else emerges in the next few weeks Moving on into Chunk Mail, if you'd like to email the show, the mail address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address. It's the only one we check for the show. Uh, first email comes from Ironclad Islaus, the landscape artist from the Discord, and the subject is Cross Edition Parity. Hello, Johnny and Joel. As a Bedrock player, originally coming from Minecraft via Xbox 360 branch of the gamer's family tree, I've always been taken aback by parity differences between Bedrock and Java editions of the game, especially since many Minecraft content creators, not all though, are Java edition creators. More recently, Mojang has thankfully been trying to add parity enhancements to more closely align the two editions of the game. A well-received recent example being the game Seed Parity between these two editions. And yes, while they're still not identical, they are much, much more closely aligned. A plus for the effort from Mojang's part. They're also continuing to add more parity enhancements in both minor and major updates, which are great to see. What parity released enhancements would you like to see added to Java from Bedrock or Bedrock from Java? That would improve and further consolidate the game for the Minecraft community in upcoming versions. For example, in the coming wild update. 
Personally, adding the nearby sound subtitles, aka captions, to Bedrock Edition, as well as offhand torches would be truly welcome enhancements to the game. It'd be great to hear both of your thoughts on this. Because the volume was turned down, Ironclad Dislows suffocated after his windowless dirt house collapsed during a thunderstorm. Happy New Year. <laughs> that's, that's a great outro. Um, yeah, for me, I, I agree with the last suggestion there. It's really all about accessibility for me um and and not just accessibility in terms of you know subtitles for deaf and hard of hearing folks it's it's about things like keyboard shortcuts and this is probably the most boring answer to this question because i know a lot of people are yelling at me about redstone and and the differences in that right now but whenever i play bedrock edition there are things that i do from java edition which are just ingrained behaviors which don't do the same thing in bedrock edition and it means i'm stumbling over bedrock edition a lot more than i feel like i should be um, the first thing is being able to being able to enable advanced tooltips in Bedrock so that you can see accurate durability numbers and things like that. And I get that this makes the game feel more mechanical and less intuitive when you're looking at an exact number for tool durability rather than a graphic bar for it. But it lets me feel much more comfortable about the state of my tools. I know when to repair them, I know when to be worried, and it might also stop my Twitch chat announcing that my pickaxe is about to break when it dips below half durability. Um, people get very kind of concerned about that kind of thing, and I I like it when I have a lot more of an accurate estimate of you know how, how far through the durability of something I am. Um, along the same lines, middle clicking for pick block in Java Edition skips over enchanted tools and it puts the block that you're trying to pick in the first available slot of your hotbar that isn't, you know, an enchanted pickaxe, sword, axe, whatever it happens to be, because it knows you want to keep those tools around. They're your primary tools. And Bedrock Edition just swaps whatever's in your main hand at the time for the block you're looking at. So it makes the process of working on a build and trying to swap out blocks and you know, trial and error, that kind of stuff, a little bit more arduous and time-consuming because you're opening your inventory a lot more and, you know, manually clicking stuff around. Related to that, using your number key row to move items to and fro in the hotbar from your inventory and back and forth is something I use in Java all the time, especially when my pickaxe gets putting back in my inventory by pick block. <laughs> and that's, once again, something you can't do on Bedrock Edition. Um, I agree with offhand support as well. That's another obvious one. Although I think as with most of the concerns about parity between Java and Bedrock Edition, we sweep under the rug the fact that Bedrock Edition has such a great variety of control interfaces. So you have to take that into account when you're adding keyboard shortcuts for the people who play on Windows 10 Edition. There is no parallel functionality for people who play on a touchscreen. It just won't happen that way. And so you're making modifications for the minority of people who play on bedrock edition and while that's a good thing it's a quality of life thing for the people who do play on pc it's kind of negligible effect for everybody else unless you have a more configurable mobile device or console controller or something like that so that kind of stuff yeah is is a little bit what i i rub up against whenever i end up dipping into bedrock edition yeah i feel the same about my little time in in bedrock i spent a little bit on pc but most of the the time i spent in bedrock is just a fun experiment was playing on my xbox uh, with an xbox controller uh the inventory and the replacing the the enchanted tool in your in your hotbar with an item 
drove me crazy, mm-hmm. especially because going into the inventory with a controller is way more cumbersome than uh, the mouse and keyboard that I'm used to. Now, I mean, granted, I've got four years of experience in Java Minecraft keyboard. Like I've got a lot of muscle memory there. And so I understand that some of that is just like an uphill battle when it comes to, to changing to Bedrock. Um, but I think that they should focus on the smaller things, like the things that are easier to check off. Like there was a a bullet point from, from this week's news that... Um, iron golems now show damage in bedrock edition like in java and you can repair them with um an iron ingot uh which again is great parody it's a simple thing it's just another thing to check off and i think that stuff like that um is is a great way to focus because it means that it just gets closer and closer closer faster and i think for me though it's it's the gameplay stuff it's it's the inventory how it works it's uh, how you interact with things, being able to right-click on something. It's, um, I imagine for a lot of people, I know, I know this probably isn't going to change, but things like, you know, the way the pistons and redstone works, um, anything like that that's going to make the intuitive kind of gameplay experience of players used to playing on one version or the other a smoother transition between the two, I think is is a great way to focus on on parity. For me, the only real uh, draw to Bedrock Edition is RTX, which I don't have access to right now. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't have a lot of things pushing me into playing a lot of Bedrock, where I then just have this laundry list of things that drive me crazy about you know one version versus the other. I just don't have that that time spent in game. Yeah, to to touch on one other thing from Einkladislas's email, the. Uh seed parity thing currently only covers the first four billion seeds because bedrock edition still uses 32 bit um seeds to generate terrain and anything that you enter beyond that basically gets truncated down into a smaller seed number um so you can't use all of the seeds from java edition and while four billion is a really big number it is 18 quintillion if you're on Java edition because of 64-bit terrain sort of algorithms instead of instead of 32-bit. And so, yeah, like, I, I've run into that problem where my Survival Guide World seed this time around was a completely random seed, and it doesn't fall within the range that Bedrock Edition could use. And the chances of it doing that were 1 in 4 billion. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty intense, and I understand that's probably a great deal of work. It's a lot more than just, you know, adding a couple of zeros to it, but... Um, yeah, I, I would I would hope that if this is something they're doing already and they've done for the the one eighteen update, they might be considering doing that in future. I don't know if that's going to be the case now that people have started generating one eighteen worlds, because it, it seems unlikely that they'd want to shift around terrain generation for those players again. But it may be that they're not using seeds within that range to begin with. So we will see. Uh, moving on to the next email, this one comes in from Guja314, and the subject is weather. Uh, Hello, Johnny and Joel. Having recently been on a beach holiday, I was thinking about Minecraft oceans not being affected by the weather at all. This got me thinking, what if there was a chance for water to become stormy during rain, and a higher chance in thunderstorms? This might lead to various impacts on gameplay, such as boat and swimming speed being reduced, at least on the surface, and boats maybe breaking more easily. Potentially, there could also be benefits, such as hostile mobs having a shorter aggro distance. Of course, there could also be a way to indicate this. Maybe the water texture becomes more animated, and possibly even a way for players to predict it, such as with a barometer, or something a bit more low-tech and Minecrafty. With the wild update trying to add more immersion, this could be helpful in that regard, or maybe it might just be seen as a hindrance. What do you think? 
Apologies for the long email. Guja314 didn't drown in the storm because he was wearing a life jacket. <laughs> That's another, uh, sneaking in another feature suggestion right at the end there. I have mixed feelings about this mm -hmm. because the rain in 118 falls mainly on my head all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we were discussing this on stream on the weekend and it rains, I want to say, once a Minecraft day for me now. Oh, yeah. Which is annoying. Uh, especially as a content creator trying to show off builds, trying to make uh, build decisions and trying to figure out what looks good when it's such a dim, cloudy kind of representation of what's going on. And I don't have shaders on or anything like that, so it's not like it's changing. The, the fog doesn't know. roll in, yeah. <laughs> no, but but it's still, it's hard to like really get a beat on what these colors look like when they're not well lit. Mm -hmm. And and so, especially when you're dealing with something with like deep slate that's got like three or four different variants that really look the same, especially when it's cloudy outside. Um, so yeah, I... I feel like it's it's disruptive now where it didn't used to be. Now, on the flip side, I don't think in, in 117, I don't remember the last time that I experienced rain uh, because sleeping, of course, reset the weather cycle. And because I was sleeping all the time, building, not wanting to be, be bothered by mobs and not building at night, uh, I never saw rain. And um, I feel like when it did rain, it was more of a cool occasion and you wanted to kind of let it go for a little bit because you're like, oh, this is cool. I don't see rain that often. But now it's just like I I was in my little um, shulker box cabin right-clicking on my bed a minute before it was even nighttime, just impatiently like, I'm just done with this rain. I'm just done. I'm done mm -hmm. building in it. I'm done working with it. So I recall, I think it was two years ago on Minecraft Live, one of the developers said that they don't want to implement weather systems like say tornadoes because it doesn't feel good as the player and i'm kind of wondering if they're approaching most weather suggestions or most weather ideas in that light in that having a stormy sea either attempt to drown a player break a boat uh make it faster or, or slower or harder for players to move around uh, might be seen as like a not good experience and i think the only way to really balance that is to make sure that it doesn't happen all the time mm -hmm. and if it's a random generation then the chances of it actually happening back to back are possible um or if they decrease the randomness of it or decrease the frequency of it rather um it might never happen or you might be sitting there waiting to experience it like i kind of want to experience this new storm but then just doesn't happen um the only thing that i can think of that would be kind of like a cool way to do this would be if it only affects things like visibility or minimal, minimal effects on players. Like don't have it like a tornado destroying a building. I mean, people don't like creepers. They're not going to like a tornado, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I could see something like traveling across a big desert. And if the desert is large enough and you're out there long enough, that maybe a big sandstorm comes along and reduces your visibility for, you know, 20 seconds. And then it passes on. You know, or you might be able to see it coming and have to go around. You can make the choice. Do you go through and, and not be able to see very far or do you go around and take longer? And other than that, it doesn't infect you. But it creates a cool sense of immersion because there's a sandstorm in the desert. And I, like I'm, I'm on the fence about stormy seas. I don't know that. I mean, think technically it might be very difficult to do, but um, it would let, add life. Like as, as a positive, I think the idea of waves or any kind of like just general life at sea would be would be better than than the flat kind of surface that we have now yeah um i think the weather system in general might need a closer look after 1.18 because you're right Agreed. It, it does rain a lot uh sleeping no longer resets the weather cycle it just clears rain if it's happening 
Um, and yeah, I say this as a British person, it rains a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, to me, it is mainly a complaint because of doing content creation stuff. Like it does have an impact on visibility of certain things. And like, like you said, like if, if everything feels kind of gloomy, it changes the, the atmosphere of what you're trying to build. Um, I think the only time it really impacts gameplay for me is if a thunderstorm happens while I'm caving. Because when I'm caving, I typically don't bring a bed. I'm not thinking, let me set my spawn down here. And a lot of the time I don't bother, you know, sleeping to reset the night today. I just try and run back to my house or wherever I've got my base set up. And so the only thing that happens when I'm caving is if a thunderstorm starts, I make a mental checklist of like, what do I have on the surface? Is there anything that can be damaged or transformed by lightning strikes? Do I have villagers nearby who might become witches? You know, the are my builds going to be set on fire? Did I put up a lightning rod now? That kind of thing. And so, yeah, th those are the only things that are really of concern to me about the weather changing all that frequently. But I do think it'd be nice to have other weather patterns. I think global weather is one of those pie-in-the-sky kind of things where it'd be cool if it rains in one plane's biome but not another, and the weather can kind of travel in a certain way. And I don't know how effective that would be and how, how much impact that could have on the way temperature feels in different biomes now that the entire world kind of relies on this temperature map to figure out where the jungles and deserts and savannas are versus the swamps versus the snow plains and everything kind of being tied into that temperature setting um obviously it doesn't rain in savannas and deserts and so forth already it rains in the river biomes in between them which still feels a little bit strange to walk out into this curtain of rain that lasts for about five blocks and then disappears again right so there's there's still a couple of things to consider about the weather that would make it feel overall more immersive right now i just accept it as one of those you know funky minecrafty things that makes it feel like oh yeah this is still a game and we're still kind of you know building stuff out of blocks in this sort of simulation of everything but i do wonder if there is room for that to change in future and for more weather patterns to emerge out of that maybe yeah it gets it gets foggy and the render distance just kind of shifts just a little bit not too much because people are quite you know fixed on having you know a, a 16 chunk render distance and you imagine if there was fog that crept in from the outside they just try and increase their render distance to see further so it, it's got a balance depending on what people's video settings are because that's really one of the only things that it changes is the the visibility of certain things with fog rolling in you could do something um very minecrafty with have it be like little fog banks um have like a a fog textured cloud that would come in at ground level as opposed mm -hmm. to in the sky like i mean it looked kind of blocky if it was <laughs> big enough you wouldn't be able to see the top of it but this big old cube of fog rolling towards you yeah, yeah. Be kind of if it was done in the right way it might actually look okay it um, have to be more transparent than the existing clouds though because occasionally well, I'll, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll load up a fresh world and I, I'll have clouds turned on and I'll spawn in a cloud and I'm like what is this why is yeah. the world around me all grey and then I realize that yeah I'm just high up enough well, that brings me to a final point about all the rain. Uh, one thing I'm not doing is building in new 118 terrain yet where I'm going to be high enough up where if it does rain all the time, it's actually going to be snow. Snow, yeah. And, mm -hmm. if, and if I think seeing in the rain is bad, I can only imagine that having it snow heavily every day in Minecraft being really problematic. Yeah, that, uh, that's, the, that's the point at which you have to make every block around you a cauldron and just start farming right. out in snow instead. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I mean there's a benefit there, but yeah, I just I feel like those kind of things are, are are things that need need addressing. But I'd like to see more weather systems. Like I'm I'm playing Forza Horizon Five right now, and one of the things in Mexico you can do is drive through a giant sandstorm, and it's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah, you know, like it it has and it has that immersive effect, you know, because you just you can't see hardly anything. And of course, when you're driving quickly, it becomes a challenge. So there's some gameplay challenges and stuff that could be kind of fun there. Well, going on to this email and the discussion about frog lights earlier, I thought a fun topic for this week's discussion could be what makes for a good mechanic, especially as we're looking forward at things like the wild update and even looking at the mob vote we had this year at Minecraft Live where the three mobs were kind of, you know, tied into specific utility mechanics for the game and they they wanted to be very clear that these mobs had a use after a lot of the mobs in previous years having been criticized as being too cosmetic. So frog lights were an unexpected development for frogs, but we both agree they feel quite good. And I wanted to look at what makes new mechanics like this feel good or worthwhile. And should we still hope for this level of depth from every new feature? Or what is it about simpler features that can still bring as much value to the game and i've got my thoughts on this but i'm going to reserve them for a little bit later how do you feel about um like what what makes frog lights feel like a good mechanic to you so to focus on those i think that there's a decent time in slash reward out for the new farming mechanic like you have to seek out you know a bastion if you want to a lot of these things, you're probably going to want to take advantage of the magma cube spawners. Yeah, that or, or, a, or a basalt delta, right? Basalt delta, or yeah, or make or make like a platform in, in a basalt delta, um, depending on what you want to do and, and how you want to address it and how easy it is to block spawns from other places and focus it on the area that you want. Um, so it has like that farming mechanic for people that want a lot. For people that just want a few of them, it, you know, it's going to be fairly easy um, if you just go in and collect the bring the frogs with you for the little the little cubes um i don't know if there's a way to we don't have a way to put a frog in a bucket do we like an axolotl um tadpoles will go in buckets but not frogs so you can't right you can't pick up and move frogs around as easily but you could in theory place a tadpole somewhere as long as you can place water which means the nether is out of the question Right, but you could have a little tadpole farm on the other side of another portal, like mm-hmm. a block away, and and have the frogs go in that way. So like, there's a, there's potential to have it be a little bit easier to move them around. Um, I think everyone likes a new block. So when new mechanics like this, even if the block isn't dropped immediately, but something that is dropped can be made into a block. You know, um, like beeswax being made into like they don't drop candles, but you can make candles from the beeswax. Uh, I feel like doing things like that uh, allow players to 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 enjoy the new mechanics, um, and I think too that the imagination behind it is is a big thing. Like eating cubes, slimes, and magma cubes, resulting in drops being something that the player wants, um, and it's a nice variety. Like slime balls have their uses; they can be made into slime blocks. They can be used to make sticky pistons. They're a thing that the player wants. Um, Magma cream doesn't have a lot of uses in that way. Uh, certainly not the same way slime does. So dropping the frog light immediately, as opposed to having the magma cream be something that the is part of a, a frog light, right? Like you don't have to craft the frog light, you get the frog light. I think that there's an interesting balance there. Um, I think that just the imagination of it, like it's, like I mentioned before, you're not killing the frogs, you're utilizing the frogs. And I think the delicate balance there for a new mechanic that players will enjoy is the tedium of 
moving those frogs around or getting yourself set up. So one of the things that drives me nuts is moving villagers around. Like if mm-hmm. I don't have to do it, then I will not do it. And I, and I feel like it's the same way with, with um, some mob farms and things like that. When you want to move things around, well, you, you've got experience with cave spider spawners, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that kind of stuff. There's a, there's a balance between the reward out versus the tedium in, and some things are farms. I'm just like, nope, not, not worth my time. I don't yeah. really want to do, you know, like someone suggested this weekend, like a shulker box farm. I think it might be faster to just go get shulkers, like just go kill <laughs> shulkers with, cause I'm, I'm fine with the PVE of like flying around with Elytra in the outer end islands and just hacking at shulkers. You know, like I, I feel like that is probably still faster than trying to move a shulker to your spawn chunks and set up a shulker farm. The farm itself is probably not that bad, but moving the shulker, I just, I feel like that's a giant pain in the butt. Yeah, it's, you know? it's a it's a short term reward versus long term reward thing as well. Like people yes. making those high intensity kind of shulker farms are probably wanting to supply stuff to a an active server of twenty or more exactly. people. Whereas exactly. Whereas you're, you're on the citadel, mostly serving yourself, and you know maybe handing Six a couple of tops. yeah shulker boxes to a couple of server mates, if that. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's it's so that those are the kind of things that I look for with new features. It's usually like, is it. I don't want to say cool because that's subjective, but like, is it something that entices me enough to deal with the, the work in versus, versus reward out? And, um, I think a really good mechanic or a good example is actually the recent way that they implemented Moss. And mm-hmm. I didn't design the farm, but building the farm that El Mango designed, scaling it down to what I wanted for the Citadel, have it still be an absolute metric ton of Moss and everything else. Um, was really fun. Building that farm was fun. Watching the amount of stuff it puts out is fun. Um, the the blocks that it gives you are all cool, all useful. Uh, it gave me a lot of bone meal. Like that's a really good mechanic. The way that Moss works is a, is a good example of a new mechanic in the game that is fun, unique, unexpected, and just changes the dynamic and gives. Um, I like it when mechanics offer multiple ways to do something, like. I, I already have a skeleton farm. I don't need bone meal from a moss farm, but it's a happy accident that it yeah. happens. Mm-hmm. And, and, and for people that are on peaceful mode, it gives an excellent way to get bone meal, right? Yeah, and I, I think like that that's part of what I think of as like an ideal checklist for Minecraft features. Like it, my, my overall list, you, ideally new features take as many boxes of this as possible and it's not an exhaustive list but it's kind of what i think is can it do more than one thing <laughs> is like a big mm-hmm. one like in the case of moss for example like you've got so many different uses for it it's a good aesthetic block you can get a bunch of other stuff from it like azalea saplings and moss carpet and a few other things it can be crafted into moss carpet you can make mossy cobblestone from it and bone mealing it gets more of it and then it can be turned into bone meal from there and like that that's that's a lot of different stuff from a single block that is also aesthetically very nice um so so if it's used in crafting or if it has a function is that its only use and i think it's interesting to compare things like copper and moss because people still feel like copper hasn't lived up to its full potential yet it's got the crafting recipes for the blocks which people often just say you know these are just blocks which is fair because they don't then get crafted into anything else other than subdividing into stairs and slabs and whatnot the lightning rod has redstone uses but it's redstone use that relies on there being a thunderstorm happening which is more frequent now as we've touched on but also 
a random thing that you know it's a rare event that you can't really rely on happening consistently and then the spyglass which a lot of people already feel like is a redundant feature because there are zoom mods that people have been using for a long time and so copper has a variety of uses but the uses don't necessarily add a whole lot uh for players who've been used to certain mechanics in the game for a while um one of the big things for me is does it touch every part of the game and i think this is one of the things mojang has highlighted as their priorities is like are builders redstoners explorers people who like combat are they all likely to enjoy this are they going to benefit are they going to at least experience it at some point and does it have a use for everything and of course that is like very subjective and has to you you have to think very broadly to imagine this happening for for everybody so you know moss is one of those things that like explorers are going to find a bunch of it in lush caves you know you don't really fight moss so it's not necessarily all that relevant to to combat um but lush caves are areas where combat changes a little bit because you have glow berries around and you know the lighting changes make for a, a bit of a, a difference there redstoners like moss because they can turn it into bone meal they can use it for farms it's a very farmable mechanic it's the kind of thing that can be automated and then builders love moss for being able to terraform well so that kind of hits three out of the four boxes and i think with the frog lights you have builders who are excited about a new light source you have technical players who want to develop farms that you know pair frogs and magma cubes together um, I mean, the frog is at least a mob that you can hit, which should hopefully give the combat players something to enjoy. And maybe the combat players will start f breaking down the magma cubes into the smaller ones and just having a frog nearby that can eat the smaller ones as they come through. And then exploration lends itself to the aspect of frogs that when they grow up from tadpoles in different biomes, then they become the different varieties. So I think frogs end up doing a really good job of touching every part of the game in some way or another. Um, and then there's a few other bits and pieces that I think are part of the checklist for me, like does it fill a gap in Minecraft's existing features, which arguably frog lights don't, although I'd say like the feature of them primarily is being a light source that gives the illusion of being a different colour of light, in the same way that a sea lantern, like I said, gives a, a bit more of a colder feeling light, I think the frog lights can add that kind of aesthetic to different areas and so it, it kind of fills a gap in that we need a variety of light sources for a variety of different situations and so frogs can kind of fit into that category i think the main thing i think about when talking about filling gaps is goats because all of the stuff that goats currently do is a gap that's already been filled by something else and that thing may be slightly more difficult to obtain. Like the ramming feature that goats have, I feel like is already filled by things like zoglins. Or even if you're just moving mobs around, things like water streams, things which are arguably more consistent and more reliable, and so they're less likely to be used for technical stuff. And then the other stuff goats do right now is provide milk, which cows have done since they were implemented, and for the most part isn't something people need to rely on unless they absolutely can't find a cow the things that were more unique about goats and the things that led to this might have some other thing that we've not seen before are the things that have been held back like them ramming trees and their horns breaking off and then the goat horn being an item and we don't know if that's going to show up again so i feel like goats are one of those recent examples in which things haven't necessarily panned out to fill in a gap in minecraft's existing features 
I think frogs are on the borderline of that, but I think frogs are falling on the right side of that borderline. And the last thing I think about is, is obtaining whatever this new thing is a challenge? And if so, is that challenge achievable and fun? And so obtaining frogs might not be much of a challenge, but you still have to seek out a swamp biome, which lends to the exploration aspect. And then taking them to different biomes could be part of the fun. And then the challenge becomes, how do we get frogs and magma cubes to interact? And I think that leads to players thinking outside of the box a little bit more and looks into ways where they can interact with the game in ways they haven't previously. That's the part to me that is fun. It's trying to, you know, glue together two different parts of the game that would never normally interact at all. And I think that's that's something that's going to potentially make frogs a really fun addition now that they have this uh, magma cube interaction thrown in. Speaking of gaps in existing features, um, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, it might not be the only block that does this, but it's certainly the newest block that does this, in that um, things like sea lanterns and glowstone don't, um, they're not the easiest thing to conduct redstone with, um, whereas yeah. frog lights are solid blocks, they're not transparent. So they will hold a redstone signal, uh, you can use it to pass redstone signal through um, tip of my hat to Exumavoid. I saw it in his video. Uh, and like that, that is going to be cool because it means it is a solid block you can use in a redstone build that is going to light up that build. And with the new spawning mechanics being light level zero or below for spawning, that means that you don't have to have a lot of them and you could potentially just have this light block in your build, light up your whole redstone build and have it not worry. You know, you don't have to worry about um, mob spawning at all yeah. depending on how big your build is right so like that's really cool that's um, um and... a, a property that shroom lights i think have already as being a, okay. a, a yeah. solid block light source but again it kind of ties it into what you were saying earlier about them being like the perfect marriage between a sea lantern and a shroom light and right. it, it kind of feels like they come from the same place because you know frogs being aquatic animals and the sea lanterns mm -hmm. being so tied to aquatic environments and then shroom lights being from the nether and the magma cubes being from the nether i feel like that provides quite a neat cross-section of the two and i think too that um, what's missing currently from frog lights is right now you just get the frog light and we don't know yet if you can craft it into anything else or if it is part of another recipe mm -hmm. and i mentioned earlier how it would be nice to be able to dye the frog lights the other 16 colors well one of the discord uh, comments that i saw go by this week in our, our community was that they looked like paper lanterns in the same way that you'd see paper lanterns being released in the air at ceremonies or funerals or whatever and i feel like if you crafted a frog light into a paper lantern maybe with like sticks and a candle or whatever it is that then you could get that colored light source that you're looking for where the frog lights are their own thing but then they also have a craftable thing in the same way that you do with candles where you could then combine them with dye or something to create pa paper lanterns and maybe that's just a more refined looking light block in the same way that a shroom light is a organic looking light block and a redstone lamp looks like it's more of a refined crafted light source right mm -hmm. and, and a, a, i feel like a paper lantern could have you know like a wooden frame onto it or a different color frame depending on what you know what you crafted i just think it would open up a lot of possibilities to have it be not just a block that you have to just put in the world on your own but something that you can use in crafting recipes yeah yeah i think it, it'd be really cool to see the frog light in, incorporated into crafting in some way and 
the the other thing that I think about ideas like the frogs eating the magma cubes is it has this kind of X factor of things that you would never have really expected going into the game. It's almost like the opposite of an intuitive mechanic. It's more just like a quirk that you discover either organically or by experimentation or even by kind of like player insider knowledge kind of thing that lends it this sort of interesting X factor that makes it more interesting because you just think of it and you go wow i would never have thought of that and the the joy of experiencing stuff like that the hidden mechanics the 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 easter eggs the jeb sheeps of of minecraft the dinner bone name tagging you know that kind of stuff like that that's all fun and i feel like as a video game minecraft should be fun first and foremost a lot of the time and so we can get very serious about features like this but i do think frogs eating magma cubes and these blocks being the result is is one of those quirky things that you'd figure out further down the line or have somebody tell you that you go really and and that's kind of fun the thing going back to what i was saying earlier about goats the thing that i always forget about goats that maybe makes them slightly more unique is the fact that potions affect what they do with their ramming behavior so if you give a goat a swiftness potion it knocks back whatever it's ramming a lot further because there's extra speed added to the attack right and so there are little elements like that that are easter eggs attached to some of these features which we can forget about occasionally in the day-to-day -day thing and that's why i'm i was kind of bluffing a little bit when i said about you know simpler features having as much value i think a lot of stuff in minecraft has way more depth than we ever expected and even has the potential for more depth to be added to it in future updates so unless it's just like this is a type of stone that you can only you know dig up a block and then place an, a block somewhere else like it 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 has something else about it almost always and so there's there's a lot of depth out there for people who want it i don't know enough about frogs if you can restrict their movements with certain ways in the same way that you know you put blocks above a villager and they can't escape even though it's wide open air they just can't walk between certain spaces mm -hmm. i'm looking forward to setting up my frog firing squad all like in a line <laughs> little trap doors and all all you see is just little tongues just like firing out at random uh, at random magma cubes and speaking of the fun of it like it, i know that it's complicated with the way that minecraft is constructed with the way that entities are and how blocky it is and how much work it must be to add any kind of animation or change to them but we know that they'd make that you know when they croak they kind of have that kind of like expansion kind of thing where they do with their throats yeah mm -hmm. um and and i it would be neat because anytime in an animation like think any disney cartoon where it's not a main character there's kind of like panning over a swamp or panning over some wildlife and there's a little dragonfly that lands in a branch and then like it's snapped up by like a lizard or a frog or something like that. And you have that afterbeat of like the crunch where it's mm -hmm. like half in the in the thing's mouth. It would be really cool if with these magma cubes, there was like a slurp animation or like some sort of like gross kind of slimy moment and have the frog be like twice as big for a minute. <laughs> when, like because right now, like I said, they're being they're just being changed into frog lights and it'll be really cool to see the magma cube it would be hilarious to see this bouncing sea of baby magma cubes uh bouncing along only to have them be zipped out of the air and sucked into frogs and then having these very full very happy frogs on the sidelines you yeah. know I, uh, I... until they until they produce the frog lights. I still keep comparing it to the Yoshi mechanic from from Mario yeah. games where you end up riding Yoshi and he like his cheeks kind of puff out whenever he's yeah. like eating something. It's basically that and yeah, yeah. it'd be it'd be fun to see uh, see frogs do something a little bit more cartoony like that. 
And you don't you don't have to have them poop it out. They could spit it back out. It can come out the same way it went in. You know, <laughs> magma cube goes in, frog like comes out. It's fine. I don't need to know how or why. Just mm-hmm. like you know, because then you'd have the the double like the slurp and the poo. <laughs> like yeah, spit it across the across mm-hmm. the room. Well, if you folks want to share any more frog light on this discussion, feel free to email us and let us know what you think the good mechanics are in Minecraft and what makes them good in the first place. It'd be really cool to hear some more community discussion about this topic as we look ahead to the wild update. For now, though, that's going to be it for this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can do that at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Joining our community there gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat, and it gets us closer to our next milestone goal of having a monthly Minecraft audio hangout with our listeners. We're currently at 311 patrons, which is up three from last week. Thank you to the three of you for jumping on board. And special thanks go out to our content engineers, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are also a great way to share the show. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them where they can go to listen. That includes places like Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, even YouTube. Honestly, wherever you can find a podcast, you can find The Spawn Chunks. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I tend to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for the Survival Guide and occasionally play Minecraft Bingo. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, still on a bit of a break before Season 9 begins, but you can still find us through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to The Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, at thecitadelcafe.com. This past week, myself and Stephen ESC, a server mate on The Citadel, talked about the book of Boba Fett, the new Disney series um, about Star Wars that's on Disney+. Plus. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I am back on The Citadel, working on the West Hill build and hopefully some 118 content coming soon. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite and the frogs like their food spicy.